You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. It's another beautiful day in the Jewish state, and uh, I am here at uh, IDC uh, at the counterterrorism conference, which is, this is the last day, and folks, we've gotten some amazing interviews, amazing, amazing. In fact, I want to clarify something for people who are looking for some of the interviews that aren't actually there anymore. We had some uh, students that are studying counterterrorism from other countries that have never been to Israel until they came here to go to school. And they talked about in these videos how their lives were dramatically changed by what they saw and how the misconception by the media and, uh, you know, the grassroots in their country and their governments about Israel was completely false. Well, uh, unfortunately, you know, these are young people. They're just starting out in their career. And uh, they came, a couple guys came and talked to me, and he said, they said, look, Michael, we're just starting out. Uh, the simple fact, the sad fact that we're, that we're saying what we are about Israel uh, could cause us some problems. And uh, would you mind removing the videos? It's not personal. And, uh, you know, it's, it, this, is, this is the sad state of affairs in which we live today. But, but, uh, with that, I want to say thank you to everyone who had the chance to see those videos. Thank you for sharing them for the brief time that, you, uh, that they were up. Uh, and right now, I have uh, a man that I... Uh, I've been in Israel for four years, and I remember my first experience with uh, Dr. Mordechai Kedar. Uh, I was actually invited to an event Jay Schultz put on, uh, and uh, Tel Aviv Internationals. And we were on a rooftop, and you were speaking, and, uh, you know, when I first came here, I, I was... Um, uh, I, I remember the question, I don't remember the exact question, but everybody would always come to me and say, why do you always have to clarify that you're not Jewish? And I think it's important for me to clarify that I'm not Jewish for this reason. Israeli-born Jews do not always succeed. And I'm with these soldiers a lot. I've traveled the country. They, they, it's very hard for them to see the support from the outside world because of the media and the governments and the UN, their support that they have from Americans at the grassroots level. So, you know, there's some people that say, ah, it doesn't matter if you're not Jewish. And I understand that and I appreciate that. The key is that people know, the Israeli people know, that they have support from Americans at the grassroots level and that we're not Jewish. And because of that, we will help at all costs, and I speak for Insight to Israel, to help them on every level defend not the Christian, not the Muslim, but the Jewish state, the only safe place, as we've shown in interview after interview, for the Jewish people to be. Uh, I, I'm going to let you talk, sir, because I want to hear what you have to say, and you, so do the people. But I want to say, sir, I've interviewed Holocaust survivors who had the chance, I've, the videos are on YouTube, to go to other places. One guy said, I could, my friends were telling me, come to Paris. <laughs> come to Paris. Come to Australia. You'll make a lot of money. And you know what this man told me? He's my taxi cab driver. He said, if I li he said the reason why I never went was because I did not want my children to hear what I heard, you bloody Jew. He said, if I live in Israel and only have two things, three actually, three things, I have an olive and a piece of bread and God, I have quality of life. Wow, what a lesson. What a lesson. What a lesson we can learn from those that are more seasoned and who've been through some serious traumatizing experiences and God helped them come through it. So with that being said, Dr. Uh, Kadar, thank you for being on Insight to Israel. My pleasure. It's always a pleasure, sir. 
Sir, uh, this uh, conference, uh, can you share a little bit about your participation with the conference? Well, this is conference number 16, as much as I remember. <laughs> and it started uh, right after September 11, one year after. This oh, wow. This is why it is always in September, around September 11. And one of the basic uh, ceremonies here in this conference is actually commemoration of those who got killed on that uh, terror attack on America. Uh, this is a big gathering of the professionals, uh, academic and law, law enforcement and others who combat terrorism, who come here every year to the interdisciplinary center here in Herzliya. And uh, in addition to listen to all kinds of presentations by many, including, including myself, uh, people mingle with each other. And this is, the, I think, at least important as listening to presentations. Absolutely. In order to, con to connect with each other, to exchange experience, to exchange ideas, and to later, down the road, meeting, meeting with each other, cooperating with each other, because people come here from east and west and north and south, from all over the world. I think this is the biggest uh, uh, global meeting of professionals who deal with terrorism. Absolutely. So thanks to the ICT and the IDC, uh, we have this conference every single year, and it's a very important conference. Uh, I'm honored, uh, every, like every other conference, uh, to speak about you know, my experience or my insights about Islam, about terrorism in Islam, about how Islam is used in order to, to pour more jet oil on hatreds which exist or not, or to create hatreds, in order to incite people and to push them to terrorism, uh, whether they know much about Islam or not. You know, many of the terrorists, who the, the Islamic terrorists, are more or less totally ignorant about Islam. They know very little. So this is why they are very easy to be recruited. Because somebody comes to them and says, hey, Islam comes and Islam tells you to go and fight the infidels. So they believe him and they go to fight the infidels. Only because they are uh, 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 ignorant enough to be uh, drawn to this uh, jihad, which uh, all of a the sudden they discover. This is one of the reasons. Not, it's not the only reason, definitely, but this is one of the ways how those who recruit people, the, 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 the more ignorant you are, the better you are a, a, a candidate right. to be recruited. Let me ask you, uh, a lot of people, uh, the argument that they give me when it comes to Islam in general, cultural Islam, and sometimes the West, in their ignorance of Islam, tries to separate the terrorist side from the cultural side. People say, well, if we just educate the Muslims, uh, not necessarily even talking about... Give them jobs. Give them jobs. But all the 9-11 hijackers were very educated men, all educated in the, in the United States. But Lana was a billionaire. And you don't, you're not a billionaire because you're stupid. Of course. <laughs> and, and, and to say that poverty pushes people to, to terrorism is definitely doesn't go along with the facts. Right. Because many of those terrorists are people who are rather wealthy. Bin Laden is the, the biggest, uh, uh, you know, he was one of the wealthiest people in the whole Islamic world. He was a contractor for the Saudi government for many years, and uh, definitely he was, he, he, he was worth 
millions of many millions of billions of, of dollars. So to say that poverty pushed him to terrorism is as far as could be from uh, from reality. Let me ask you: uh, Am I mistaken when I say when I talk about ISIS and I say they are the the, the perfume, the aroma, uh, the pinnacle? of all that Islam is when it comes to the militant arm and the dream of is it a mistake to say the dream of Muhammad well uh, in their view they the Islamic State or the Caliphate State uh, is the real implementation the pure implementation of the real Islam as was formulated in the 7th century by Muhammad peace be upon him, and by his immediate followers, the caliphs, the first caliphs, Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, and Ali. How, how do I know? They take from the books of history of Islam the examples and the precedents which appear there, and they implement those precedents literally as they were those times, meaning... Uh, there, are, there are some stories that uh, Muhammad and his followers were slaughtering their victims, including the Jews of, of Medina, for example. So this is why they slaughter people today, because this is what their prophet, who was a role model for every Muslim, every place, every time, in every situation. Wow. Uh, so this, since he behaved in such a way, we should emulate his behavior. Uh, Ali bin Abi Talib, the fourth caliph, is quoted to have burnt his enemies. So we burn and our enemies as well. Others were drowning them in the water, so we do the same thing. All those jihadists of the 7th century were destroying remnants of other cultures like statues and uh, idols uh, of other religions. So we do the same thing today in, uh, in Syria and Iraq, which is full of archaeology of the Babylonians, of the Assyrians, of the Chaldeans, and, and, and many others. So we destroy all, all those remnants only because our forefathers did the same thing in the 7th century. They, in the 7th century, were selling the daughters of the infidels to slavery. Wow. And like they're doing today. So we do the same thing today. Wow. We, so this is, in their view, the real, pure, original Islam. And they actually are in order to restore the same thing. Why? Because at that time, in the 7th century, Allah gave them the power in order to devastate and to destroy two giant empires. The Byzantine Christian Empire and the Persian Zoroastrian. And they succeeded in very short time to topple these two empires. And these two empires were actually controlling most of the world which was known in the 7th century. So, if this was the way how to topple the infidels, we should again implement the same modus operandi, the way of conduct. In, in order to usher in the greater model. The greater well, model. In order to restore the caliphate and the rulership of the Muslims all over the world. And actually, in coins which the Islamic State issues during the last two years, they show the whole world on the map 
The whole world. The whole world. And people don't know and, if I can interrupt. And, and without any borders. Yes, sir. Because borders are lines which the infidels draw in order to cut the world into pieces and in order to make states which will fight each other. We are willing to erase all the borders which the infidels drew to make the whole world under one Allah, under one Sharia, under one Caliph, okay, according to, to Islam. So there will be Pax Islamica, an Islamic peace all over the world. Once we control the entire world, peace will come to the world. This is what they believe and this is what they want to do. And they show it. Uh, on their coins. And you know, coins are not made arbitrarily. Mm. Coins are made with intention. With, with intention. So this is uh, what the Islamic State is. And what you're talking about, uh, the media and the governments around the world that say they're fighting ISIS uh, or Daesh, they're making it look like they're scattered, uh, they're on the run. This is why they're committing attacks uh, in other countries, because they're losing their strength in the Middle East. Uh, which, the, it, from my understanding and the, and the reading that I'm doing, the alternative reading, unfortunately, uh, they've actually set up schools and businesses and, and uh, people paying taxes. Uh, they're selling oil to the Europeans uh, that are fighting, that say they're fighting against them. Well, depends on when you talk. Today, okay. today, the export of the oil from the Islamic State is almost totally stopped because the world doesn't allow anymore Turkey to buy uh, the, the, the oil from the Islamic State and to sell it to Europe as if it is uh, an oil which was taken from Iraq. This is how Turkey uh, behaved for a long time. And who's a member of NATO. A member of NATO. But every, and, and many... Intelligence organizations actually knew how Turkey collaborates with the Islamic State, and in other cases as well. However, everybody was afraid of Erdogan uh, because he is impulsive, he is unexpected, uh, he, gets he gets angry very easily, and he, everybody is afraid of him, of, of him because he might keep NATO out of Incherlik. And can, I, can I add something here? America, you're paying, your tax dollars go to NATO, go to Turkey, who's a member. Erdogan calls for the death of the Jewish state, has allowed ISIS fighters to go through Turkey. Am I correct, sir? Well, it depends when. Recently, he tried to create some rapprochement with Israel after years of uh, total detachment from Israel after the Marmara uh, issue when he sent this ship to Gaza uh, against Israel's will. So, but he uh, still calls for the death of the Jews. He has many times in the past. Well, you know, he, he, he is much more of a polit politician. <laughs> of course, he is driven by, by Islam. He's an Islamist. His party is more or less Muslim Brotherhood uh, 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 party. And, uh, and he supported many terror organizations, including Hamas and others, against Israel for a long time. Wow. Uh, yet, uh, now because of his problems with Russians and with others, now he tries to close some open fires with Israel, and good so. 
Israel doesn't look for enemies. We have right. enough of them. Right. So uh, if Turkey wants to come back to you know normal relations with Israel, and we don't expect any hugs and any kisses from <laughs> Erdogan, but uh, to have normal normal relations, okay, we we prefer this than on enmity right. and, uh, and rivalry and all these things. So uh, we and, and look, we also share much with Turkey today. To Turkey understood, Erdogan understood, that once you support terrorists, it does not immune you from their wrath. Right. Means, if you once blink with the support to them, they will blow you up. And they will ignore the fact that you support them for many, for many years. And this is actually what happens. Whoever deals with terror positively, the terrorists will blow him up. Look, Assad, many years he supported Hezbollah, he supported Hamas, he supported the Islamic Jihad, he supported the fronts, he supported every terrorist which worked against Israel. Now look at what the terrorists are doing to him. Okay? And this is the thing. Once you get in bed with terrorists, you will be the victim. Uh, even the Iraqis were supporting some terrorist organizations against Israel. The Jabhat uh, al uh, Arabiya, as they call it, the Arab Liberation Front, uh, Saddam Hussein, was, they are the ones who threw this Klingberg guy off the, off the ship. Of the ship. In the wheelchair. In the, it was in the 90s. Yeah. The, I can't remember the name of the ship. It was a Greek ship. Yeah. yeah. Akila Lauro. Akila Lauro, yeah. Uh, and this organization was actually supported by, by, by Saddam. By, by the Iraqis in those days. Wow. Okay? So Saddam, Saddam you know, he, he was targeted by, by terrorists as well after he was hung up. You know, his, the, the, the state, the Iraq was, you know, devastated by terrorist organizations as it is today but with Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State and all the others. So, whoever deals with terror finds himself as the victim of the terror. And this is a very, very steady rule uh, in the Middle East. This is why we Israelis don't have any, anything to do with terrorists, even if those terrorists might work in our favor. Uh, so, but we keep away from them as much as we can. And that's, let me ask you, uh, okay, so in this conference, and like you said, I think this is a great conference. Uh, there's some things that I'm hearing out of, the, out of certain groups and people that I'm like, I'm shaking my head and wanting to beat it on the wall. But I've met some amazing people here. And uh, one of the gentlemen that I've met, I've, long, I've met some American special operations and special forces guys here that now work for themselves. Mm-hmm. One of the guys was telling me, uh, which I'm obviously not going to put him on camera, but he, was, he worked with the Europeans in security. And he told me that uh, Finland, one of the, this is just one country. England? Finland. Finland. Finland is just one of the countries named about four where the, the refugees, the media portrays them as just coming from Syria. He said these are 20, 30-year-old men that are in very good shape. They kidnap children from their mothers, come, come to Europe under refugee status. They take these guys uh, when they commit a crime or something, a minor crime, and they'll take their cell phone. And he said, we literally, I've seen pictures on these guys' cell phones that 
had pictures of people beheaded, even children. It's a, it's been proven that they're uh, they either support or are working directly for ISIS, and. Uh, they commit a minor crime, and so the police let him go, even in spite of the fact they have the evidence. And he, he said, it boggles my mind because they will not use that evidence against that person to prosecute them and kick them out of the country. They say it's racism, it's bigotry, and all these other things. How can you fight Islamophobia. Islamophobia. I don't have a lot of confidence in most Europeans. This is me speaking, okay, because I know their history. I've studied their history. I know a lot of Europeans. I've been to European countries. They gave in to Adolf Hitler. That He's minor compared to what we're dealing with now. When, when you hear things like this and then see what your own people go through as they fight for freedom every single day, what does that do to a man of your knowledge about what is happening in the world? Well, look at this. The Europeans, I would say roughly, are divided to two kinds in this, in this issue. And I'm not talking about the ignorance, I'm talking about those who know. On one side, you, you see the law enforcement people, policemen, investigators, uh, prosecutors, prosecutors, even judges. They know. They know. They know. They see the evidence, they see the documents, they see the pictures, they see everything. And they, see, and they intercept the uh, communications and they all, they all the ways and all the means how to detect those people, how to find them, and, and how to vet groups. Not completely, but definitely, they, if they catch somebody with a cell phone with evidence, they definitely know. The, the, the other side are the politicians. Politicians today in Europe behave in a totally, I would say, a weird way. Why? Usually in Europe, the elections are local elections. It means you are being elected by your constituency to the parliament. Constituencies become more and more Islamic because of the immigration, because of birth rate, because of many things. Politicians who want to be re-elected feel that they must say and do what their constituency expects them to say and do. So, politicians, who are the real decision makers in those countries, not the professionals, the politicians, usually do not give the law enforcement people the devices and the means to do what should be done. Why? Because they are afraid that they will be depicted by their constituencies as bigots, Islamophobes, and racists. And why you, once you are depicted as such, forget it. You are out and you are detached from your seat in the parliament. And there is nothing more uh, 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 powerful than the adhesive which combines a parliament member to his chair. Even on the expense of the country means to allow all kinds of elements to come in only because I want to be re-elected in the parliament of this and that country. And this is the problem. Not the law enforcement people, personnel. The problem is with the politicians who control them, who draw the lines for them, and who give them the authority to do what they should do in order to protect those countries means that some of the politicians actually are sacrificing their countries on the altar 
of their own political survival. Only because the constituencies become more and more Islamic. You know, actually yesterday I had a conversation with a German girl. Brief conversation, very brief. I was getting my coffee. I said, how are you today? She said, I'm fine. How are you? And I said, I'm doing good. I said, where are you from? She said, Germany. I said, oh, oh, Angela Merkel. I said, uh, she's really doing a great job in Germany. And I said it sarcastically. And she said, well, I, I can't stand Angela Merkel. And I said, I said, she's selling your people out. And she said, well, what do you mean by selling our people out? I said, your country is, is overrun with Islam, and they're going to burn it to the ground unless you do something about it. And she got so angry, her face became red, and she got furious, and she goes, well, I happen to very much disagree with you, and we have a moral obligation to do whatever we need to help these people, and I don't want to continue this conversation and walk away. And look, look the problem is that Germany, in my view, tries not to see what happens. Uh, the reason is that the Germans, to an extent, still carry this uh, cross uh, of the Second World War and what was done by them, so they are now much more, let's say, liberal in order to get other others. And, and this actually, at least partially, would push them to accept so many refugees who come. The question if they are refugees or not is right now. Right now. But, but, but the problem is that Germany already has some neighborhoods which are no-go no go neighborhoods for policemen. And if police comes into those neighborhoods, it's with armored vehicles. Means these six-wheel, like, those who look like tanks and have a machine gun on, on, on top. A turret. Yeah, machine gun turret. You know, a, real, a, a real army vehicle, a personal carrier. And only this is, is, a, is a vehicle which the police does to go into those neighborhoods. This is something which should outrage everybody. Suddenly we all remember what happened in the New Year's Eve mm -hmm. uh, in many places in Germany. Uh, these, those foreign workers or whoever they are, uh, how they harassed and attacked girls only because according to some beliefs um, Christian or infidel girls are allowed. So this is what Germany uh, brings in, and uh, in addition to other to other problems, uh, I'm not sure that they are becoming Germans. Means from the cultural point of view, with the time, I'm not sure that they uh, will never become radicalized, because look, the first generation who come, I'm not talking about the jihadists who come in order to devastate the place. Right. I'm talking about regular people who really run away from the atrocities of the Middle East. Those who really uh, seek asylum, who want to be treated in, in a civilized way, who, who want good health system, education system, and some roof above their heads. I'm not talking about them. Usually, the first generation are good people. They thank the country which accepted them. They will do they would they will do anything against the country, and they are peaceful as could be. They work, they in most cases, and they are productive and nice people. The problem is with the second generation, and something with the third generations as well. Why the second generation was either born in this hosting country, or came as little children, grew up in this nice, uh, peaceful environment, and they learned that everyone is equal. Because this is what they are taught in school. But when they graduate, 
they find out that if your name is Helmut or Jean-Jacques, the chances that you get a job are much bigger chances than if your name is Mahmoud, Muhammad or Mustafa. Uh, the girls will be much more friendly with you, especially after school, uh, if your name is, uh, is Hans, rather than or if you are uh, Pierre, uh, rather than if your name is, is uh, Mustafa or Mahmoud. Okay? So, uh, with the years, when they become 18, 19, 20, and so forth, they discover that the society is not uh, as they thought, and uh, there are, of course, everybody is equal, but there, there are some who equals more. And especially when they apply to work, or to a cl local club, and rejected, and so forth. So with the years, they might, not all of them, some of them, might develop all kinds of resentment against the society which actually betrayed their hopes and they are devastated because of this, because they cannot find jobs, so they go to the mosque. And in the mosque already, you know, people are hugging them and kissing them, are much more welcome and so forth. And in the mosque, sometimes, they uh, become radicalized. Now, today, it's not only the mosque, it's websites. And today, many jihadists, especially those who went eventually to the Islamic State to fight in the, in the jihad fields of uh, Syria and Iraq, uh, were radicalized not by a mosque in France, Germany, or wherever. They were radicalized through the Internet. America's Web Radio is the most diverse and informative radio station anywhere in cyberspace. We have shows about health, business, current events, entertainment, home care, and everything in between. We appreciate your continued support of America's Web Radio. When Lou Gehrig was the first to be featured on the front of the Wheaties box in 1924, it was because of his strength as a baseball player. Michael Jordan's basketball strength has put him on the Wheaties box 18 times. However, we all know that strength comes in many other forms, such as academics, emotions, and spirituality. Recently, I visited a museum featuring the strongest man in the world. His name was Paul Anderson, who grew up in Toccoa, Georgia, and won his strength title as an Olympic champion many times. Yet, it was his inner strength in caring for children that made him a greater champion. This athlete's compassion was better than a box of cereal and lasted longer than all of his gold medals. God looks at our inner strength and supplies it when we're weak. The Apostle Paul reminded us of the true source of strength when he said that I can do all things through him who gives me strength. What's your claim to fame? Who's your source of strength? If you think that you can do it all on your own, you're wrong and you're weak. If you ask God to make you strong, you can't go wrong. This is John Bryan bringing you today's Key Word. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Uh, what they studied and what are their plans, which now they... And this is a very, very big problem. And we actually uh, experienced here in Israel. Uh, we had, in 2003, a terrorist attack in Tel Aviv, on the Tel Aviv shore, in the promenade of Tel Aviv, by mm -hmm. two Pakistanis who were born in Britain and, you know, raised, were raised and educated in the British school system. And we are so radicalized that they came here as British uh, tourists 
and uh, actually killed some Israelis in Tel, in Tel Aviv, the uh, seashore, and the promenade. So, how do you, they were British. They were products of the British uh, school system. Okay? And, and those who blew up the tube in Britain in July 7th, 2005, and the bus in the street, some 50 people got killed in this. Also were people who were born and or raised up in Britain. So, and then there was a second generation problem. And this is what you, what you see. And uh, yet, there's a big question, how do you find these people? Uh, when the police doesn't, or the government does not allow you, in some cases, to implement all kinds of surveillance uh, in mosques or in other things because they don't like it. And this is a very big, very big problem if the police and security organizations have no, uh, let's say, open uh, area uh, to act in the intelligence uh, point of view to find those people and to make sure that they are uh, kept uh, behind the bars before they blow up the whole country. Wow. However, it's not only those who really uh, blow up uh, buses and tubes. Uh, even people who incite uh, and disseminate all kinds of ideas, like Sharia for the UK and so forth. MJ Chowdhury, who's now... Right. MJ Chowdhury only recently was put in jail because of some minor things, but for years he is inciting against Britain, against the Britain democracy. He claims that democracy is an idol which should be destroyed. And Buckingham Palace should become a mosque. And, 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 so, and he has an open card to, to say whatever he likes, only because Britain tries to, um, to maintain his freedom of speech and to be multicultural and to allow uh, people who you know, need uh, some kind of refuge to come to Britain free. And I know what happened recently that uh, all of a sudden they decided to put this man in jail, but for years you can see so many clips of his in the media, uh, how he's interviewed and what he says in all kinds of conferences to turn Britain into an Islamic, uh, Islamic but state. But it's actually working. In London, I would say, and people I've talked to, I've got some friends that are in special forces units in, in England, and they say that London, uh, that many of the people are in denial. I've talked to people from England just in random and traveling, and uh, they say that uh, they've already got, they've got about 30 Sharia courts, laws within a law, uh, governments, a government within a government. Um, I think, let me give you my theory, I think the reason why they arrested him was because of that years of incitement. Now you have a, a Muslim mayor of London uh, who was elected predominantly by the Muslim people. And I think that this is a ploy, a cover for, uh, to allow implementation progressively instead of uh, as, uh, by the mayor. And so in order to do that in a calm, reasonable way, in appearance to the people, you get rid of this guy, put him away, uh, and he's probably sitting somewhere on a leather couch playing video games if he's not getting educated, like a master's or a PhD. It, that's my knowing, looking at past experiences. Uh, I would venture to say that that's why he's in jail now, if he is in jail. Okay. Uh, the, the problem is with the Sharia is 
uh, you know, some people try to compare the Sharia to the Halakha, to the Jewish uh, religious law, and say just just like Jews have the, the, the Halakhic court, uh, we, means Muslims, should have the Sharia court. And this is a very big, uh, uh, you know... It's not even a comparison. No, you cannot compare. Why? Because the Jewish uh, Halakhic uh, courts deal only and solely with divorce cases. It's the only thing which they, which they uh, deal with. And kashrut, you know, we're, we're kosher. The kosher food and so forth. Everything is about us. Uh, because according to the Jewish law, it's not enough that you are getting divorced from your wife in the city hall. You also have to go to the rabbinate authorities in order to, uh, to give a seal of approval on this divorce. Otherwise, uh, you are still married and your wife is still married and you cannot get married to others, neither, neither does she. Yeah, so yeah. so, uh, so uh, Jewish, uh, uh, Jewish laws, uh, Jewish halachic courts are actually more or less about this issue. Nothing more than this and, and of course the, the food, the food uh, issues. And it's not forced upon the rest of society. That's the key. Not at all. We, we have nothing with, to do with Christians, Buddhists, Muslims, and others. Where Sharia tries to implement itself Be, against because the Judaism, whole society. Judaism is about Jews. Right. Uh, Judaism has nothing to say about others. If they, the only meeting between Jewish law and others if they want to convert to Judaism. Right. So there is a procedure which is not easy at all, but this is the only meeting of others and the Jewish law. Only when they want to convert to Judaism, if they are crazy enough. Okay. 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 However, when it comes to the Islamic uh, uh, Sharia, it is something totally different. Uh, the Islamic Sharia is way much to say about the others, about the infidels, about how they should be treated, about what should be done to them if they fail to convert to Islam or so forth. Um, much of the Islamic Sharia is about Christians, Jews, and other infidels. So actually, Sharia, Sharia courts are institutions which are designed to facilitate the takeover of Islam of a certain place. And, and, and of course, they start with minor things like divorce. Yeah, because I remember them. hearing that they, they, they were strictly for divorce. Uh, when they, they first said they are the managing course. the divorce cases, which is okay. I have nothing against it. If you know a Muslim man gets divorced from his wife, definitely it should have uh, not something to do with the Imam also who has to to endorse this uh, this divorce. It's, 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 it's a religious issue. Okay, but the problem is that the Sharia is way much to do with others, and this is the problem. Once you introduce Sharia into a country, they start uh, asking or demanding that the church bells will be silenced because they don't like it. They demand that pork will not be sold in the, in the supermarkets. Everything's halal. Halal. Uh, alcoholic beverages should not be displayed. Um, contraceptives, which they view as some immoral uh, thing, should not be sold in pharmacies. And this is the problem. We Jews have nothing, nothing against pork. We don't eat it. But we have nothing against somebody who eats it because he's Christian or whatever he is. Right. And, and, okay. So we have nothing against others as long as <laughs> they don't force on us to do what we don't want to do. But the, 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 the Sharia, once introduced into a place, 
it's a problem because they start to demand all kinds of things which actually uh, uh, narrows the space of the others. And this is the problem. Okay, so on that front, I personally, I think Israel's going to take over, sir. I think we're too weak to do anything. I'm not sure at all. Okay, that's my view. But I'm not sure at all that Islam will take over. First of all, uh, unfortunately, uh, Islamic culture has some mechanism of self-destruction. Okay. What do I mean? Uh, Unfortunately, really unfortunately, you see today the Islamic terrorism in many places when the vast majority of the victims of the Islamic terrorism are Muslims. Sunni and Shia Sunni against Sunnah against Shia, Shia against Sunnah, Arabs against Kurds, Kurds against Turks, Turks against others, Muslims, and they're all Muslims. Uh, Iranians against Saudis, and I'm afraid that there's going to be an all-out war between Iran and Saudi Arabia. I'm afraid of it, because it will spread this war all of the Middle East and Israel. You're caught in the middle. As much as you don't want to be involved. We we know how to protect ourselves. What I'm saying is that we don't enjoy at all see people kill people. Although neither of these nor those are our friends. Yet nobody should enjoy seeing blood in the streets. Absolutely. Uh, So uh, 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 this is the problem. That the Islamic ideas of I'm right and all the others are wrong, including Muslims, and therefore I should kill them, this is something which dev- devastates Islam before it devastates others. How much? And, and it's actually based on the Islamic tradition that in the hadith, in the oral tradition, there is a, a saying which is quoted from the Muhammad, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, who once is said... <laughs> can I ask, what, is there a reason why... Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Because he lives in peace. And, uh, <laughs> no, the Quran says that Allah and the angels are actually praying on the prophet. So, uh, he, he once said, quoted, to say that my nation, means the Islamic nation, will be divided to 72 factions. And only one is, as he says, a taifa najia, means the faction which will run away from hell. All the others are in hell. Now, they are, now the debate is who is in hell <laughs> and who is in heaven. Okay, I just the, wanted to get a better understanding from my listeners. Who is the righteous faction and right. who are the wrong? Okay? And as long as they don't know who is the right and who is the wrong, they fight each other because everyone thinks that he is the right while all the others are the wrong. Which leads okay. to my next question. I see, and, and this is uh, this is Inside Israel speaking, the research we've done, the United States government that says it's a friend of Israel, and I believe there are factions in, these, in the United States government that actually are genuine friends to Israel. But I have a very hard time when, and, and I know there's a lot of arguments we could give as far as humanitarian aid and all this other stuff. But I have a very hard time with both parties and the government that sign checks and give aid to the Gaza. And every time a rocket comes over, it is literally paid for by the American taxpayer when I see my military that I pay for with my tax dollars, 
being sent to Jordan, Dubai, Qatar, Pakistan, all these countries, upgrading their military, using our CIA and our soldiers, and I feel like I, I use the word, and this is insight to Israel speaking, as pawns to train Islamic soldiers, Muslim soldiers in countries, and I know they have their own little kingdom, Jordan and Egypt and the, the Saudis and all this other stuff, but Russia funds one side of Islam, the United States and the West fund the other side of Islam, and this is what I have a problem with, that we're giving these people weapons, we're arming them up, all of them call for the death of the Jewish state, and yet this, I, I believe that the this perpetuates an even greater war that could come uh, in the future. Am I am I correct in my session or am I incorrect? Because uh, I've studied the budgetary and I've shown this a lot of times. There, is, there is much in what you say, but first of all, the world acts according to interests, not according to values, not according to... Because, can I say this, there are no more values anymore. That, those are out the window. Okay. And this is nothing which I invented. This is already Hans Morgenthal, the founding father of the international relations, already found in his giant book. Uh, 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 so, it's, it's okay. Interests actually are driving the world. However, uh, 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 jobs in the arm industry are very important. <laughs> and That's I'm, a reason why. I, I'm not joking. No, no, I understand. I'm I mean, not joking. The United States, I think... Uh, okay, go ahead. I'm afraid that, at least partially, selling weapons to other countries are motivated by the will of any country, not only America. It's in Europe, it's in many countries. I say that, I, I pinpoint America because I'm an American. Yeah. But, but what I'm saying is that it creates jobs in the aircraft area, uh, industry, you know, uh, warplanes. And all the other devices, killing devices, which uh, people use, arms, and which give uh, good jobs for many, many, many people. So this is also a consideration. However, when it comes to giving weapons to uh, Arab countries like in the Gulf, uh, everybody knows today that uh, their challenge is not Israel. Their, cha their challenge is Iran. And whoever supports Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Qatar, Emirates, is actually uh, uh, supports them from the Iranian hegemony from the other side of the Persian Gulf. And uh, in this, this uh, issue of facing Iran, Israel and those countries today are in the same bed or in the same ditch. Okay, but here's the dilemma. And again, I'm, listen, I'm learning, sir. You're, uh, I wouldn't have you on if there was not something that we could all learn from you. But don't we defeat our purpose? Like, for example, Jordan and all these other countries that the United States gives money to, like Mubarak, a lot of the reasons why they do what they do is because of the funding from the United States. Otherwise, we might have possibly had a war like Yom Kippur or the War of Independence. Because I think once the money stops... Like you said, Turkey, for example, you give them until they get enough of what they want, and then they turn on you. This is what happened to the Europeans. They gave them 15 billion euro to keep all the refugees in Turkey, and after they got the money, now they send again 
refugees to, to, to Europe. Okay? So don't we, do, don't we defeat our purpose? Like Saudi Arabia funds so much of Islam, and now the, you, if you're an American, you can sue Saudi Arabia. They passed the law because they were key conspirators in 9-11. So if we're an ally to Saudi Arabia, they're working against us. We give them weapons. They're not a friend to Israel for sure, but you have this common interest when it comes to Iran and Daesh. I mean, where does the cycle end that is so vicious? Because in the end, everybody hates the Jews anyway. They're going to come for you eventually. It's all a matter of, you know, when you kill enough of the people that you're trying to fight for power, and then when you're done with them. You, you understand my question? Yeah, but what happens recently, I'm talking about the last two or three years. Okay. Especially after the signing last year of the new. Uh, agreement with the Iranians uh, Saudi Arabia Kuwait, Qatar and the Emirates view Israel more as a solution rather than the problem. Means the Palestinian issue the Islamic Jewish issue Jerusalem issue many issues today are in the margin their existence their survival in the Gulf, in Saudi Arabia, Kuwait Qatar and the Emirates for them is much more important than the Palestinian issue, the Jewish Muslim issue, the Jerusalem issue, any other issue combined. And this is why in the recent years there are all kinds of rumors about relations between Israel and the Gulf countries and you know what, Jordan as well, Egypt also. So, you know, here in the Middle East, politics are just like the terrain which is sand dunes. Sand dunes change their position and location right. according to the wind. Right. And they are very easy to move from place to place and to change their shape. This is how the Middle East looks like. There is nothing steady in this area. Uh, uh, rulers which were viewed as sphinxes, like Mubarak, like Hafez Assad, turned to be something like paper tigers. Um, states which were in the fourth, in, in the front line of the Arab nationalism, like Iraq, like Syria, came to be paper tiger. And in the good case, in the bad case, there are swamps of blood, tears, and fire. So uh, things which established the politics of the Middle East in the 90s and the beginning of the, and, and the first decade of this century turned to be in the second century totally different, opposite. What will be in the next decade? Mm. Nobody can predict. Okay? So this is why you have to take everything politically in the Middle East as a temporary situation <laughs> which you have to take advantage of as long as it exists. Tomorrow or a day after, it will change again. So you have to reshuffle your cards again. And this is how you live in this area. <laughs> it's totally different from what we know about Europe, America, Australia, New Zealand. All these countries are good countries, peaceful countries, yet you can build your future on much harder terrain, much uh, steadier uh, uh, surface. Here in the Middle East, the dunes, sand dunes, are the name of the game. And, and the way that I see the, 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 uh, the condition of the world today, not looking at it from an American standpoint, because many times we make that mistake and look at the world through, a, through the scope of the United States. Instead, I want to encourage Americans, 
And for those especially who are Christians, you need to be looking at the world through the scope of the Jewish state. Because the facts are, long after the United States is gone and nothing is forever, anyone, anyone who is foolish enough to think and who says the United States will always exist, will always come back, Many civilizations have said that before, and right now, culturally, we're on a precipice. With that being said, I know, sir, I know, Baruch Hashem, the Jewish state is forever, and so are the Jewish people. Amen. Sir, I want to say thank you. I, I, wow. That, that was great stuff. Uh, America, it is time that if you want to your life as an individual to be blessed, even when things are hard on the economy in the United States, and they very much are, and we're headed in a very serious direction, your life will be blessed when you stand with the Jewish state. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel, our final day at the Conference on Counterterrorism at IDC. God bless the patriot conservatives who stand for the Judeo-Christian founded Constitution and Bill of Rights. And God bless Israel in her fight for sovereignty and security. Thank you. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel and Chocolates for Heroes. Wow, wow, wow. It is another beautiful day in the Jewish state, and I am here at, uh, at the IDC conference on uh, uh, counterterrorism. And it has been amazing. Anyone who's been watching our social media uh, has seen some of the testimonies from the students themselves. Tomorrow we're actually going to get to some of the speakers, but I have a gentleman here, uh, Boaz. My name is Jonathan Davis. Jonathan Davis. Jonathan Professor, Ganor is the, uh, Professor Ganor is the dean of the School of Government, and I'm the Vice President of the University. You're the Vice President. Yeah, the vice I apologize. President. I, I, That's no problem. Uh, Love means never having to say you're sorry. <laughs> Jonathan, I want to say that uh, my experience in four years of, mm-hmm. as someone who's not Jewish, being in Israel, having never right. been here before, uh, has dramatically changed my life. And watching what uh, IDC does uh, and how you bring young people from all over the world to come here and study uh, governmental relations, international relations, uh, counterterrorism is truly amazing. Can you tell me, first of all, you're an American. I'm, am I, yeah, I was right? raised in California. Raised in California. When did you make Aliyah? Many years ago, way before you were born. <laughs> well, you don't know my age, <laughs> but I'm sure that's true. I'm 45, so. I am 67. Wow, nice. What, uh, first of all, my question is, why did you make Aliyah? I immigrated to Israel because of uh, my belief in Zionism. I believe that uh, it's important uh, that we should have a Jewish state, which exists someplace in the world, um, and uh, call it uh, biblical prophecy of, uh, you know... My best friend. You know, rounding up the people from the four corners of the earth and ending up in Israel and establishing a Jewish state. So I believe in the biblical prophecy... And I believe in the Zionist prophecy. Amen. So it's a combination of all of those things. Amen. Amen. How, what what events transpired in your life that led you to the position you're in now? I think uh, what inspired me the most were two things, basically. One was the Holocaust, and the second thing was the Six-Day War. Um, the Holocaust being that uh, if we would have had a Jewish country wow. with a Jewish Air Force and with uh, a Jewish tank corps, and with uh, infantry, infantry, uh, we could have uh, defended those Jews in Europe, uh, but we didn't. And we needed to be dependent on all of these other countries in the world who didn't do really too much 
to help us. Yeah. And then uh, there was a six-day war, uh, which proved to me that there were a small group of people in Israel here who were courageous enough to fight. So I said, if they can fight, I will join them. I became a paratrooper here. I became a lieutenant colonel in the IDF. Wow. I still serve in IDF reserves uh, to this day. I live in Israel. I've got four kids. I've got uh, five grandchildren and two more on the way. So um, that's the story. And I'm now the vice president of a, of a very Zionist university where one-third of all of our students of the student body are students who came from overseas. Most of them are Jewish, but we also have non-Jewish students. It's amazing. We have evangelical students whose parents are pastors from Texas and from California and other places. What uh, unites all of us is our Zionist ethic. You can be a Christian Zionist. You can be a Jewish Zionist. Um, and uh, the Judeo-Christian ethic is something which uh, unites all of us. You know, I, I say this a lot uh, in my radio show and on our social media. If it had not been for God giving the, the, the Torah to the Jewish people, there would be no hoka. There would be no Constitution because the founding principles of the Constitution come from the principles of Torah. Absolutely. And uh, I want to say thank you to the Jewish people for my freedom as an American. And with that, uh, Inside Israel has a program called Chocolates for Heroes, where Americans send thousands of Hershey's chocolate bars with notes on them to the soldiers. We love you. We pray for you. We stand that's with fantastic. you. And I have two for you. Well, that's that's terrific. And uh, I, I visited the factory in Pennsylvania. My wife comes from Pennsylvania, and so we, oh, wow. we visited Hershey, and uh, it's a great place. It's a great place for kids to visit. Absolutely. So let me ask you, when uh, what initiated? And, and how long have these conferences? You have various conferences. The Institute for Counterterrorism has been in existence for 20 years. Wow. IDC Herzliya has been in existence for 25 years. And these conferences have been taking place for 16 years. Wow. So, um, and we're having a lot of fun while we're doing it. I mean, this is just one aspect of what we do at IDC Herzliya. We decided to turn the subject of counterterrorism into an academic subject so that uh, we could, so out of Zion shall come the light wow. on how to fight terrorism around the world. And so we could learn from our own experience what resilience is all about. We could learn from our own experience how to fight terrorism and, and how to be very unpolitically correct when fighting terrorism. Um, because if uh, you try to fight terrorism by being um, nice, by being a nice guy, <laughs> you'll end up being a dead guy. And we actually prefer to live. Absolutely. Unlike the terrorists who believe in 72 virgins, um, we believe that uh, in life and in peace and in democracy, so we have a different way of looking at things um, as opposed to these terrorists. Wow. So I want to say uh, thank you for being on Insight to Israel. Thank you. It's and, a pleasure. Uh, Always a pleasure to, to uh, do business with Chocolate for Israel. <laughs> Sir, uh, we, uh, I want to say from the American people, Thank you for what you're doing. And thank you. And we want to thank the American people for, for being who they are, um, individuals who fight for liberty and uh, who believe in freedom and who uh, have done so much for the world and, and so much for Israel. And uh, we have to stand up and be counted. Absolutely. All of us who uh, believe in these values and in these ethics. And, uh, you know, hopefully we want to end up being the last of the Mohicans. Hope not, but I'll tell you this, sir. I know that God, you and I both know, and I'm thankful for those who believe and who stand like we do, uh, that God will preserve his land and his people.
I, I believe that, that if we put our faith in, in God, that's a good investment. Absolutely. It's a good investment. This is Michael Gannot at, at uh, the Conference for, on Counterterrorism. Thank you for everyone that watches our social media. Don't forget to listen to Insight to Israel every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's 17 and 21 in the Jewish state. God bless the patriot conservatives who stand for the Judeo-Christian-founded Constitution and Bill of Rights. And God bless Israel in her fight for sovereignty and security. And God bless Michael. Thank you. I need it. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.